This morning, I'll be reading from Second Timothy chapter one, one to fourteen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. And I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, and I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith—a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Which is in you through the laying of on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. But because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Good morning again.、Uh, we are starting a new series this morning in the book of Second Timothy、uh, that I'm calling "Follow the Pattern of Grace."、Uh, we're looking at one of Paul's letters written to one of his closest friends and ministry partners, Timothy. There's almost、uh, no one mentioned by Paul more times than Timothy. This is someone who really mattered to him, someone that he really cared about. But it's not just written to his good friend; it's written to Timothy as someone who was over a local church. It was meant for the church where Timothy served, and by extension, for all the churches that would follow after.、Uh, this is a letter. It's actually written by Paul near the end of his life. We'll see later in chapter four when we get to that in the series that Paul says he expects to die. He expects that his end is near. So Paul's writing near the very end of his life, and it's believed this may even be the last letter that Paul wrote that we have in Scripture. And he's writing to prepare Timothy and the church for a time when Paul wouldn't be around anymore. Uh, to prepare them to carry on in the faith, to press on with what he had taught them to follow the pattern of grace that he had preached to them as an apostle of Christ, as one authorized 
as an official messenger, you could say the apostles were, of the grace of God revealed to us through Jesus Christ. We're going to be focusing in this letter particularly on Paul's emphasis on grace, uh, on where grace comes from, on what it looks like and what it doesn't look like, on how it changes us and our relationships, on what grace does and doesn't do when we live it out, on how it leads us even through suffering. Because grace is the hallmark of the Christian life. It's so central, uh, crucial, and unique to the Christian faith and life that it's deeply important, Paul believes, and I, I believe along with him, that we know what it is, and not just at an intellectual level, but at the level of our practices, of, of our way of life, that, that grace is not something that we know how to talk about just or understand conceptually, but that grace would be something that we understand with our being that it would become second nature to us, that we would live grace and receive it and that we would embody grace out towards others. I want to lay a foundation of this grace for us uh, through the rest of the summer, through Labor Day weekend here uh, for as many weeks as I'm going to be with you. There'll be a, a couple weeks at the end of August where we're going to be out, but otherwise we'll be in this series uh, that we might, as Paul calls us, to learn how to follow the pattern of grace and have ourselves and our community transformed by it. Well, today we're opening with Paul's explicit call for us, as seen here in verse 13, to follow the pattern of sound teaching, the pattern of sound teaching about the grace of Jesus Christ that he preached, and to hold fast to follow that pattern. So what I want us to focus our time on is the community of that pattern, the pattern itself, and the call to follow it. So the community of the pattern, the pattern itself, and the call to follow it. But before we get into that, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God to meet us in his word. Let's pray. God, we come to still our hearts before you now as we have been descending in many ways, sinking into your grace through this service, pulled down by the gravity of your great love that we might be nearer and nearer to you. Would you continue to draw us deeper and deeper in, away from all the things that entangle us, all the competing desires in our hearts, our worries and concerns, our frustrations. God, would you help us to step aside from those things that we might see your grace, that we might be truly changed by it, that the way we treat others walking out of here today would be a little bit different because of what we have seen in you, what we have experienced from you. Would you do that for me? Would you do that for each of us here just because you love us? So it's in your name and by your Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, feel free to keep those open. If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We're going to move through the verses a little bit together today, so it won't hurt to have you in front of it. Or if you were a parent that was being harangued by your child and came back in after the scripture reading, good news. We're going to go back through these things a little bit together. And we're going to start by talking about the community of the pattern of grace. Uh, this comes out early in Paul's letter here in verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. And in verse 5 he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And, I, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Verse 3, Paul says that he's following in the steps of his ancestors. 
This seems like an odd way to open a letter unless Paul had gotten deeply into Ancestry.com uh, and had started chasing down all of his past connections, right? Like this is, a, this is kind of a strange way, if this is one of your departing letters to one of your closest ministry friends, to start talking about your ancestors and to talk about his mom and grandmother. So why, why is Paul doing this? Why lead off the letter in this way, right? It, it wasn't like writing an email today put as many words as you want on email today. Doesn't matter, right? This is writing on parchment. This is writing uh, that is difficult. Paul would talk about in his older days that his sight was not good. So uh, Paul is going to be using words that are intentional. He's not just kind of carrying on. This is a small talk. Why is it in there? Well, uh, I think what we have to see here is that first of all, Paul wasn't a believer until later in his life. Right? This happens in the book of Acts. There's a conversion story that's infamous for Paul. His actual name was Saul first. But we, we would be led to believe that the way he grew up as a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he would call himself, would be such that we wouldn't expect that his parents believed. Right? We wouldn't expect that Paul's talking about his direct family as those that he is following in the footsteps of. So who were his ancestors that believe that he is mentioning here? Well, it seems that they would be the heralds, the messengers, as Paul calls himself, of the faith who went before him. That these would be the likes of, of Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, those who had passed along the faith to those who would come after them. Paul, it seems, is saying that he serves as one following in the pattern that they passed on in Scripture. That's who he's following they're his ancestors of grace. Not his bloodline, but his family line by faith. That's who he's referencing. And so getting to why he's talking about this, he makes somewhat of a parallel reference in verse 5 to family. Paul says he remembers the faith of those who went before Timothy, his ancestors. His mother and grandmother, Paul seems to be making, as he'll do at times throughout this passage, parallel references to things to draw them out for us, to help us see more of their depth and importance. And as we see that, it becomes clear why Paul mentions his ancestors, those who faithfully pass down the traditions of the grace of God, the truth of who God is. It seems he mentions them to highlight the communal importance of following the pattern of grace. Following in the pattern of grace is not just an individual endeavor. Being a Christian is not something that you are meant to do alone or really can do alone. It is something that we do as part of a whole. Because see, it was through Timothy's mother and grandmother, Paul seems to say, that Timothy was introduced to the grace of the gospel through faithful community. Not just through an individual exercise of faith and searching out, but through a community. And not just any community, but sisters, I want you to see this through a community of faithful women. Sisters in the church, do not underestimate your importance to the family and the people of God. Paul doesn't mention Timothy's father or grandfather. We don't know if they believed. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But we know the women in his life did. They knew grace. They believed. 
They were courageous and they passed along the faith, which was one, not a recognized religion in that time, and two, they were passing on the faith courageously, boldly, at a time when women's voices were often not welcomed or even heard. This was good news for them that they knew needed sharing, that those they cared about needed to hear this, and they passed it along. They spoke up about their hope. Now, this has been true in my life. Though my father uh, and one of my grandfathers were deeply influential in my faith, uh, it was my mother and my grandmothers who were no less influential. They spoke up about their hope. My dad's dad, uh, my grandma Drake, would watch me a lot when I was little and would always bring me around, whether I liked it or not, to her Bible studies, functions. I was always in the mix. She kept me around the community of faith. My mom was the one who prayed with me when I was five years old to receive Jesus as my Savior in the living room of our house. She opened the door of faith to me that I might come and believe. Uh, My mom's mom, my grandma Dar, wrote me a note not long before my grandfather, her husband, uh, passed away, telling me to hold on to the faith that they knew I would and that they'd be there in heaven when I got there to welcome me in. They called me to the hope of the gospel, to persevere, to endure. They were courageous and faithful. They encouraged me in it. Paul calls the community of faith to our attention so that we might do the same. So that we might follow the pattern of grace, not just for ourselves, but for those who would follow after us for generations to come. So that we might bring others along in it because you don't just believe for you. Hear me say that. You do not just believe for you. You pass along what you have received. Grace is meant to be like a fountain that flows out from us, not a reservoir that we keep to ourselves. It's a legacy that we are called to pass along, to share. So I want to encourage you to dream with me for just a second. What do you want your legacy of grace to be? We dream about our careers, the vacations we might take, the homes that we hope to have, the relationships that we hope to have, but do we dream about what our legacy of grace will be? That someone could say about you that it was your faith that led to my faith, that it was your faithfulness through the ups and downs that kept me in, that it was your challenge when I didn't want to hear it that called me back, that it was your consistent presence when I walked away that I knew I could keep coming back to. What do you want your legacy of grace to be? Do you live like grace is what you will be remembered for? Not your career, not how much you had, not where you went, where you lived and what you did, but grace that you were going to be remembered for. 
what if we as a community, what if we as CTK Cambridge started living like that was what we wanted to be remembered for? What might our families, our neighborhoods, our, our schools, our interactions with people on a day-to-day -day basis look like if that's what we were living for, if that's the legacy that we were living for? Imagine how things might look different. Because grace is made for communities, for sharing. Grace is family-style dining, right? It's, it's everyone in. It's not individual order. It's meant to be shared. It's a, place, it's a plate that's meant to be passed. But let's back up for our second into our second point. What is the pattern of grace that these communities have received and passed along to us? You and I are here because someone passed along the grace of the gospel before you. God has been faithful in carrying that forward. What is that pattern of grace? What comes out, I think, in verses 8 through 10, if we can look there. It's a little bit hard to see in our text, but in the Greek it actually sets these things aside, and it's almost like a little poetic verse where Paul is, again, putting things in contrast side by side so that we might see them. It's a pattern grammatically in the text. We're going to walk through it so that we know it, and it's going to be a little bit dense, but we have a whole series to unpack this, so don't worry if you don't get it all today. But I want you to have the pattern that we might understand at least how to grow from the pattern. Starting in verse 8 in the second half of the verse, Paul says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And here's where I'm going to start laying out our outline of the pattern. The power of God who, verse 9, saved us and called us to, I think better translated with, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now, verse 10, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We're going to unpack this pattern. The first thing I want us to notice about it is that it's a pattern that does not begin with us. The pattern of grace is one that begins with God. It's God, the verse says, who saves. It's God who calls us with a holy calling. It doesn't say, and you saved yourself when God, and you called yourself. It says, God called us. God saved us. He is the one who initiates. The pattern of grace begins with the God of the universe, a holy, unbelievable, unimaginably vast God moving towards you. You. Grace, then, is not your pursuit of God. It's his pursuit of you. Grace is not your pursuit of God. It is his pursuit of you. And it's not a pursuit because of anything you do. 
It's not God chasing after the goodness he sees in you. It's not God picking the people that he likes best. Verse 9 says it is not because of our works, but simply because of his own purpose and grace. God welcomes you into his life without you having anything to offer without you having to perform for him to pursue you, without you having to do enough for him to call you in, without you having to be free of making huge mistakes in your life, without you having to attain a certain degree, having to go to a certain school, get through a certain program, develop certain products, come up with certain ideas, get to a certain relationship, develop a certain maturity in the faith. No, it says God draws near in Ephesians 2, also written by Paul, when we were spiritually dead in sin. We had nothing to offer. Absolute zero. When we were, what we could say is a mess. Right? That, that is what being dead in sin is for us. It is being a mess of selfishness, of self-deception, and self-destruction where we are a danger to ourselves and others because we are governed by something that is inherently dangerous and destructive, sin. God approaches us when we were that. The pattern of grace shows us that God chooses you just because he chooses you for no other reason. No other reason reason. And that, our text shows us, is also a settled question, not a changing question. Because the fact that God chooses you just because he chooses you, not because you do anything, is written in stone, as it were, because it says it's a grace that was given to us before time began. Before we had any opportunity to object to his terms and say, God, I'd like to do it this way. I would like to have some part to play. I want to be able to have something to offer you, something to show you. I think that would be good. Before time began, God said, this is how it will be. I will choose you because I will choose you. Before you could make a mistake that you were not proud of, God chose you because he chose you. Before we could wrap ourselves around this deep-seated need to be good enough in some way for God to accept me this week, God chose you just because he chose you. Before you could run away from him, he said, I'm going to bring you back. Before all of that, God called you with a holy calling, a calling that transformed you, that made you what he called you to be. He wasn't looking for you to be something that he might then call you. It's a calling that changes you, that makes you what he is going to have you be. He chose you because he chose you. And it was decided. The calling, the pattern of God is permanence. The pattern of grace is that it's permanent. God's posture towards you never, ever, ever, ever changes. One of my little ones, Lele, used to say, when he he would learn about something dangerous, he would say, 
Daddy, don't ever, 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 ever play with fire. Right? And that's the same kind of permanence that God says, never, ever, 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 ever am I going to change about how I feel about you. And that's rooted in the fact that I chose you before you knew right or wrong, before you did all the things that you wish you hadn't done. That's the permanence of God's grace. And that unchanging posture has now been revealed to us through the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Verse 10. He is actually the embodiment of God's grace, where it's most fully on display. And Paul says it's most fully revealed within that person, within Jesus Christ, in his dying in our place to death, his abolishing it, as our translation says, but more literally, it's kind of breaking it down so it doesn't work anymore, making it inoperative, nullifying it, making it as if it never existed in the first place. That's how broken it is. It cannot and will not be used again. Doing that by bringing an end to all the separation, condemnation, and hostility of sin that led to death in the first place that led us away from life, away from God who is life. And Jesus does that by suffering that very separation, condemnation, and hostility that sin meant for us to experience himself by stepping into the pattern of sin and death so that we could step into the pattern of grace and life. It was through him through his receiving the opposite of grace in this life, that other pattern, which is sin and death, that grace was opened up to you and I. Jesus was eternally in perfect relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, yet he received the absence of God at the cross instead of his pursuit. Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the penetrating absence of God's presence because he was bearing our sin and sin deserves to be left alone. Jesus lived completely selflessly with no self-deception or denial, being no danger to himself or others, being the opposite of self-destruction, being reconstruction and restoration for the destruction that was around him. Yet what did he receive? He received hostility and condemnation instead of welcome or approval because that's what we deserved and he was representing us. He received separation, condemnation, hostility, and death so that you and I could receive grace and approval and welcome at no cost. That is the pattern of grace, the person of grace. Grace is not some substance. It's not some thing that's floating out there in Paul's words in scripture. Grace is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, taking our sins for us that we might live. That the penalty would rightly be paid, that God is just, and yet God would also be merciful in letting us come out the other side. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is what changes everything for us. 
Jesus taking on that pattern of sin and death so that we might have the pattern of life. He is the revelation that our text says brings life and immortality to light. He is what changes everything that came before. Jesus is the grace of God. He is the pattern that Paul calls us to follow in our final point here. Verse 13, Paul calls Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that Paul had taught him. To follow this pattern of the grace of Jesus Christ, of the God who loves you when you are unlovable, of the God who does not change his mind about you. To follow that pattern. That's Paul's call. That's his charge to him in this passage. And not just to casually follow it. Not sort of a, you know, if you have time. If you can kind of finish it in, fit it in after you're done with your homework or your work or after you're done on Instagram or whatever it may be, just, you know, sneak in a little bit of following the pattern. Paul is saying it's a little hard to translate it neatly, but something like hold on to. Our text says follow, and that's not bad either, but, but it's trying to convey that we are to hold on to this, this pattern, this model. It's something that's in the original language, almost like a blueprint, a plan that you would follow for how to do something, to, to follow it closely. Paul's saying don't let go of this, don't let it out of your sight, keep it close by because this is what will lead you to life. This is the pattern that Paul has been holding on to for the latter years of his life. And as he looks out at the end of his life, that he wants to be sure that Timothy holds on to, that the church holds on to when he is gone and in glory. And yet it's also a pattern, as Paul explains through verses 7 and 12, that has actually been holding on to him this whole time. It's what's been giving him strength to hold on in those moments that he would talk about in 2 Corinthians when he was just beyond the pale, when he felt like he was dying and thought he was going to die, when he was completely despairing so that he would rather die than live. This is what's been holding on to him, what's been keeping him going. Because in verse 7, he says, it's a spirit of power, love, and self-control that now lives in all those who believe. A spirit of power that draws him back to the grace of God. And yet in verse 12, he also says, it's Jesus Christ who guards what has been entrusted to me for that day. He says, I know him whom I have believed. I know him and believe that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him, what's been entrusted to me, his life, his ministry. Paul is confident, not that he is holding himself, but that someone is holding on to him, and that someone is the author and perfecter of his faith. It's the one who is the pattern of grace. Paul is not just holding on to, he is being held on to and held up. Think of this picture. He is being lifted up from within and carried from without. This is a pattern that actually holds on to you. This is not something like the rest of life, like all the self-help philosophies that say, if you can do it, it'll help you go somewhere. But it's up to you. You got to hold on to it. Paul is not saying, you just got to do it. You got to gut it out. You got to be that person that's better and the best and achieve and try. And I know that fits right into our wheelhouse here, right? 
achieve, try, work harder, do better, be smarter. That's where we, we put the gospel into that wood chipper and it gets shredded. That's not what Paul's saying here. He is trying to wake us up that, yes, this is the pattern of life, but this is also the only pattern that will reach out and grab you and pick you up and carry you. This is the pattern that holds you back. Not in a bad way, that, that holds on to you, if I can say it that way. Paul's trying to say, where are you going to find a pattern like this? That's why he's saying, follow this pattern. Where are you going to find something like this? What else is going to hold you up? What else is going to carry you like this? What else is going to hold all of your tears, all of your pain, all of your mistakes, all of your family problems and trials, all of the brokenness in your friendships, all the brokenness at work, in our society? What is going to hold you when you fall apart except this? Hold on to this. Because it's holding on to you. I'm closing two points of how we might live this grace out a little bit in our lives this week. I want to encourage you to dream and to soak. This might sound like things you do in a tub. If you need to do that later, that's fine. First, dream. Dream. And I hope we do this together a little bit in our community groups. If you're part of one, if not, I encourage you to find one that you can be a part of collectively with our friends to dream about a legacy of grace. What would you want your legacy, your impact of grace to be? What would you want to have said about you, not just at your funeral, but generations afterwards? What do you want to have said about you in heaven? What do you want that legacy to be? Who in your life, or maybe in your future that you don't even know right now, who would you want to know this kind of grace through you? I want to give you a second. Just let the Spirit put a name or two on your heart. I can think of a couple in my head right now. Start dreaming about what the relationship with that person might look like if they knew this grace. What their life would be like if they knew this grace. Let your imagination start to run wild, not with guilt that you haven't done these things, but with curiosity and excitement for what it would look like when Jesus shows up with grace for their life. Start to dream. Our hearts follow vision more so than they follow guilt. Start to have a vision for what these things might look like, for, for what your legacy of grace would look like here at CTK for however long you're with us. What is your legacy of grace going to look like here? Is it going to look like I spent time with the people that I liked the most and enjoyed the most and got the most out of? Or am I going to have a broader legacy than that? That no matter whether I knew you well or didn't know you well, I'm going to be for you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be present when you're speaking with me. I'm going to I'm invest in your life slowly over time. I'm going to push through the awkwardness. I'm not going to let the mistakes that you made, that I made towards you, keep us from having a relationship. I'm going to have confidence in a grace that overcomes the kind of brokenness that happens in our lives. 
This is the only pattern that's going to breathe real life into our church, real life into our communities, into our city. What would it look like for grace to be our legacy here? Dream about it a little bit, about what it would look like here to live this out more fully, to have grace be the hallmark of what it means to be included here, not because we're smart, not because we're good-looking, not because we have certain jobs, or because we're going certain places, but just because God's grace has changed us. Dream a little bit about that. And I want to also encourage you finally to soak in this pattern, to be a sponge for it, to draw in the truths that are here of what God's gracious approach to you really looks like. I want to put this reality on a post-it note on your wall, at your home office, on your, on your phone, whatever it may be, put it somewhere that you're going to see it. Put these realities in your face so that you experience them again and again this week, that God moves to you first, that he does that just because he chooses to, that his decision about moving towards you, drawing you in, is final and will never change. That Jesus is the very grace of God taking the pattern of sin and death that we deserved to give you the pattern of grace and life. The truth that this is a pattern that moves towards you, that holds on to you when you can't hold on to yourself. Just soak in these realities. Start your day when you wake up with reading through those realities. That'll take you 30 seconds. Right? Instead of right onto social media, right onto your email, right onto the weather, whatever it is, just let those be the first things that hit your eyes in the morning. Just try it. And see what your day is like as you build these things, you soak in these things day after day, that this is who God is. This is the grace I believe in. This is why I belong. Soak in these things. Because the pattern of the world that you run into as soon as you get past that is not like this grace. It's not a pattern that's permanent. It's not a pattern that's gracious. It's not free, and it will not hold on to you when you don't hold on to it. The rest of the world is like water, but grace is like oil. Grace sticks to you, and it is hard to get off. Let that be what just moisturizes your spiritual skin this week, right? Apply this that it might benefit your soul. So keep bringing your soul here to Christ alone as the one who is our grace, the pattern of grace that is permanent, free, and final. And it's going to make sure that you get there in the end. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace to us that you move towards us first, that you were running towards us before we could ever even imagine talking to you. Thank you that you chose us just because you chose us, that we don't have to keep performing to be in, that we do things because we're in, because you love us, because that's who you make us to be. But we confess, God, the many ways that we have lived like we want something else, like we want a different pattern, like we think the other patterns will really be so much better. God, we are so self-deceived so many times. And we need your gentleness to bring us back. So would you, would you soak this grace into our souls? 
Would you teach us to follow this pattern of grace, even if slowly, even if it's just little bit by bit. We know you hold on to us, so teach us the way. In your name we pray, amen.